Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the show, we welcome Fidelity Research Analysts Brendan Cochran and Nick Belmare. They dive into the banking sector, the current state of consumers, and this year's investment opportunities they are finding in these sectors. The current environment in the banking sector has displayed high rates and low loan growth as credit delinquency rates slowly rise. Brendan and Nick discuss how the direction of credit is a crucial factor for influencing bank stocks throughout the rest of the year. Bank stocks started by reacting positively to the Bank of Canada rate cuts, alleviating credit concerns and reducing negative tail risks. However, rate cuts can also hinder the progression of revenue for banks, commonly through net interest margin compression. Brendan and Nick also take a look at various consumer statistics, including spending behavior, confidence and portfolio positioning. Consumers of all levels of income face specific economic challenges, and there have been observations of resistance to further price increases. The current consumer confidence appears to be strong, meaning immediate government support may not be needed, but it is possible for things to get tougher before it gets easier. Advisors are being urged to reassess the portfolio positioning, which will require acknowledging the potential economic scenarios. This podcast was recorded on January 19th, 2024. So we have more numbers coming in across the boards, data, lots of things that the Fed and other central banks would be using to make some of their decisions. But it's very interesting watching the consumer. And I know that you brought us numbers sort of after Black Friday. What are you seeing now in some of the sentiment, the retail, the strength of the consumer? Yeah, sure. So from Black Friday, you know, we saw that surge in, in Black Friday spending, which was great. And then hibernation. The consumer kind of went MIA. And lots were concerned that this is going to this is what the holiday is going to look like. The good news is that looks like the last week of Christmas was really strong. Consumers came out and spend, and we're seeing some strong U.S. retail sales data coming out to support that. So overall, it looks like we were up three percent for overall holiday spending for the year. Now, of course, e-commerce did better than in-store, but both were positive. So I think at the end of the day, the market was concerned that this was going to be a bad holiday. We ended up getting not just a neutral holiday, but and actually a decent holiday. So it's certainly better than, than fear. Yeah. Nick, the banks will be watching this ever so closely because it's all linked with how they are watching the consumer. They are banking for the consumer. Just your thoughts on some of the data that's come in so far, including the consumer data, obviously. Yeah, so what we're seeing is that we're still in an environment where uh, loan and the, the willingness to borrow is pretty low, right? Rates remain high, so loan growth is slow. And the other big driver in the banks is the credit normalization. So we've seen kind of the, it's nothing too bad, but we're seeing like delinquencies slowly go up. And a lot of these purchases are, are on credit card. And a lot of what, especially the CEOs are telling us they're watching for the credit story would be mostly on the unsecured lending. So credit cards, they're really watching that closely, how high the losses will get there, as well as the commercial real estate. Right. So we spent, but can we pay it? Yeah. Right. That, still, that's the big it's question. It's still a big question here. <laughs> So this all goes back to what we think the central banks are going to do. And obviously what the market has done in reaction to December, bringing some back. Tell us your thoughts on the Fed pivot. What does it mean to the companies that you follow? Yeah, sure. So so to set the stage, the Fed is currently in their dots plot. They're saying that we're going to cut three times in 2024. The U.S. market is pricing in five to six cuts. The Canadian market is pricing in four to five. So there's two really important takeaways from that. The first is that the market is saying you're gonna, the Fed is gonna cut more than what they have said. 
It's hard to imagine a good reason why that happens. It's probably something negative with the economy that causes the Fed to be forced to cut faster. So that's the first takeaway is what the market is, is, is implying. The second, very interesting that the market is saying that Canada is going to cut slower than the U.S. A couple of reasons why. Uh, the first is when you look at Canada's reliance on housing as a percent of investment, let's call it fixed capital formation, doesn't matter what it is, but um, Canada's around 40% of investment activity is housing versus the U.S. around 20 when you look at housing, so it's locking up people's capital. Ex exactly. And when you look at the actual contribution to GDP in terms of building houses, that's around 9% in Canada versus 4% in the US. So we know from, the, from these statistics, these hard statistics, Canada is way more lever to the housing market. We know that the Canadian housing market is performing worse than the US, um, especially in the major cities like Toronto. So it's very interesting. I find it hard to square away the concept that Canada will cut slower than the U.S., but that's what the market is currently saying. The market has created some, some real head scratchers for a few investors, and so I'm, I'm glad to hear you put that in perspective. The Fed pivot, Nick, what, what does it mean ultimately for the financials that, that you're following? Right. Look, normally bankers love higher rates. Right. Uh, but if you, again, there was a big conference last week, most of them, shared this outlook for rate cuts. And that was probably the most positive things they were on, just because we've had so many rate hikes and so fast that it was causing some nervousness, especially when we're talking about the mortgages in Canada, right? So despite, obviously, the rates pulling back a little bit, that remains a big story. We can quickly break it down here. Please. The, the issue is that there's still the bulk, the majority of mortgages still have to renew. So you're looking at about 15% of the book this year, 20% next year. 25% in 2026. And we're still looking at rates that are uh, resetting much higher than where these mortgages were originally at. So the, uh, the payments can go up by 20, 25%, up to 40% in the case of some negative amortization mortgages. Uh, so from, for a household, often we're looking at $400, $500 plus increase in the monthly payment. Mm -hmm. I think the concern is less about the ability to meet that because since the Usually, since the mortgage was taken over five years, there's been an increase in income, but that's still a shock to spending elsewhere in the economy and a drag on growth. Right, right. That's, that's really what it means. Bring it back, Brendan, a little bit to, to the way you look at this. I think we're going to look in different buckets. Sometimes you chunk things out, and I think you do quintiles, yeah. <laughs> you do buckets, you look at these different ways. Yeah. It doesn't matter, but it's sort of these main points that you're going to be looking at when you're assessing and analyzing. Take us through. Yeah, sure. So so the low-income bucket, or for me, that's probably the first and into the second quintile. We've been speaking for a while on these podcasts, on these webcasts, that it hasn't, it's not going well. No. You can see it in trade down. You can see it in discount grocery shopping. You can see it in the proportion of Canadians buying their groceries from dollar stores now. That has not slowed out at all. And when we speak to these companies that are exposed to these trade down dynamics, they are very optimistic for a good 2024. That they will stick. Correct. Yeah. 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 So which... yeah. The, now the middle income, you know, the third, fourth quintile uh, kind of customers, you can't really mention middle income in Canada without you know, the middle income stalwart retailer, which is Canadian Tire. They have, you know, you know, they, uh, stores throughout Canada. They're very public on their conference calls saying that things are not going well for their customers. And this is all other retailers in Canada look to Canadian Tire and what are they saying? And they're saying it's not going well. So, you know, that's, that's not a great sign for the middle income. They're, they're certainly not spending. When, we, when Nick talks about $400 to $500 of increased uh, mortgage payments, what does that mean? The average Canadian household spends around $70,000 a year on goods and services. 
half of that is discretionary, so half of that is staples, which probably can't change. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's $6,000 out of a $35,000, you know, we're talking 18, 19% spending wow. reduction for that, for that middle income core consumer, just based on mortgage refi. So that's a problem. Finally, your high income, the fifth quintile, which I had before been talking about, maybe cracks are forming. Now the cracks are getting deeper. I'm not gonna say it's broken yet, but the cracks are deeper. We can see it in aspirational luxury. So, so you know, that lower fifth quintile reaching up to buy, you know, a nice bag or, you know, a, a nice clothes, that is quite slow. And just recently over the holidays, that upper fifth, you know, buying uh, Burberry, Louis Vuitton bags, very, very slow through the holidays. Um, and we're seeing a lot of those European luxury stocks sell off now. So it seems like it's, it's spread. It was the first, qu first quintile when we started talking a year and a half ago. Now it seems like it's all the way up it's to the fifth. Yeah. Uh, any surprises there to you, Nick? You're looking at this as well. No, looking very similarly. There are potential differences emerging with the U.S., right? So on when we talk about um, lower income consumer, the stress is still here very much in Canada. It's still in the U.S. as well. But uh, uh, something that's diverging, we're looking at rent data. So there is more uh, rent, a sharp slowdown in rent inflation in the U.S., not as much in Canada. So this, along with still uh, strong wages, may start to help at the margin that lower income consumer in the U.S., a little bit tougher in Canada. We talked about the mortgage story. That's, we, we broke down the Canadian side. On the U.S., very different. A lot of homeowners locked in uh, on a steady payment for 10, 20, 30 years against a rising income. So a much kind of better dynamic there. And high, more high income, I agree it's slowing at the margin. I think you really have to watch employment there. That's probably- Do you think the, that's why it's slowing? Um, or there's a concern? There, so the overall, the headline employment data and you know, the claims remain yeah. strong. Although we are hearing more, um, I think some of the leading indicators of the job market are weakening when we look at the number of jobs that are open, right? It's, it's a little, um, it's, it's an easier to find a job and we're hearing more about restructuring layoffs in some higher income professions, perhaps in financial services sector, technology sector, and so on. So that will be the toggle factor for that cohort. Toggle factor, I like that, toggle factor, <laughs> I'm gonna use that. I'm definitely going to steal that. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more, Nick, if you don't mind, about the conference. You know, what, what was crucial about it? And then I'd like to sort of mix the consumer into this discussion. Mm -hmm. But but what were you hearing from leadership? I think I think most people probably read it in various bits of reporting. To you, what, what were the main points that you mm -hmm. need to take away? We sat down with all the, the major bank CEOs uh, last week at the conference. So just to hear what's on their mind and how they're adapting the strategy of the bank. Um, I think it was a very mixed tone we heard from them. Again, the most positive aspect was highlighting, you know, the, the end in sight of the rate hikes and right. kind of being able to finally kind of frame, the impact is still gonna be there, but we can see an end and not getting worse, right? So that was helpful, but they still painted a picture of a relatively slow environment. They reminded us people will not go out and buy uh, in the real economy ahead of those rate cuts happening. And even then it may take some time, right? So from a growth standpoint, it's pretty slow. We're still in a relatively difficult regulatory environment and they're all watching. The debate is really the credit cycle here. Everybody thinks it's, you know, we're not moving in the right direction, but how severe, 
how long it's going to be is very much of a debate, even be among like the bank CEOs. So that's interesting. So bring it to the consumer, because the consumer, I mean, I guess hears about interest rates and, and knows broadly what's happening. But how, how are they feeling? I mean, they're, feel, they're looking at prices yeah. and they're looking at their mortgage. So it, sort of bring it to where that discussion is. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's really simple. Like, like, like Nick said, um, all this talk that's getting the market excited about uh, rate cuts coming, that does not affect the consumer, right. the middle-income consumer right now, who, no. who is cutting back spending. Um, and even when it happens, it's going to take some time to actually transmit that, it's not stimulus, but transmit that easing right. through the economy. So um, interestingly, consumer sentiment is still good. Um, we saw some a good U.S. result yep. today. Um, the, yeah, good. The, yeah. The, the Canadian consumer confidence is not as strong as the U.S., and I think we all understand why. It's because of, of you know um, the housing market in particular. Um, but as of right now, uh, it's going to be a question of this whole soft landing narrative. Again, the, the market's pricing in more cuts than what the Fed is saying. That tends to mean something bad is going to happen. I think the real question is when those signs start to change negative. Are the banks, the Bank of Canada, the Federal Reserve, how quickly are they willing to cut? Right. Because if we're still talking three rate cuts in, you know, uh, in the back half of the year, that's probably too slow. Hmm. Um, but if three becomes six and six in, in quick succession, then you can kind of see a world in which uh, any kind of hard landing can be averted or certainly, you know, uh, minimized. Um, and I think that's what the equity market, that's why the equity market is so excited right now. Whereas, uh, you know, the bond market is maybe not as exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know, it's fascinating to watch which one gets levity in certain situations. <laughs> Obviously, uh, they're quite, they could be quite different. Nick, tell us a little bit, if we'll, we'll go outside the economy just for a second, look, look into the discussion of you speak with corporate leaders, you, you speak with the CEOs. Succession planning is always a big deal. They do it very moderately and carefully, generally speaking, across the big banks and the financials broadly in Canada. What's new on the succession planning front? We do see some headlines. There's right. change. There's changes happening across all our research process. We always emphasize a lot kind of management and their action, and it's less you know probably even for banks it doesn't matter as much on a day-to-day -day basis. But the compounding of decisions, strategic decisions that are made, capital allocation decisions over five or ten years, they can make a big difference in the ROE and EPS trajectory of the bank. So we do pay a lot of attention to who's in the leadership. And you're right, it's been, succession has been more topical. I think just because of where we are in time, we have a few banks that have relatively new CEOs. So market, just some generational stock. Right, exactly, yeah. right? It's yeah. just, you know, it's, there are these phases where there's more chance. So the new ones, the market's looking, what's the strategy, where they want to, how they're different from their predecessors. Right. And then even in the ones that are more tenured, a lot of them are hitting nine or 10 years, which is not, by any means, a hard cap, but it's usually a time frame where uh, the discussions are picking up, right? Mm -hmm. And for us, in those cases, we uh, uh, meet with the, the boards of some of those banks, uh, most of them like on an annual basis. And part of our diligence is, yes, how well are they preparing for that? Because it's a long process, as you mentioned, you have to build that pipeline of talent that's uh, willing and ready to take over. And that can be a difficult exercise, especially with a lot of competition for talent in banking in the U.S. or even in other parts of the financial course, sector. Financial. It's really interesting. Tell us a little bit, Brennan, about, we'll dig into it. It's a political hot potato, so we don't want to 
stick on that too too long. But immigration, the importance of more consumers ultimately coming, depending how long they are in a position where they can consume to be a level that it has an economic impact. But the importance of immigration, one way or the other, for, for the consumer story here. Yeah, sure. So there's a few reasons why immigration is really important for the stocks that I cover. So first, as you alluded to, the most important metric in retail is same-store sales. It's how much you're doing versus the prior year. If you have 3% population growth because of immigration, that's essentially 3% traffic growth for mm. most Canadian retailers. Is it? Does it translate It back? does, it yeah. does. And, okay. and for some retailers who are better positioned to serve newcomers to Canada, for example, dollar stores are a great place to get your feet to, to get on your feet in Canada and start and buying banks. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're at the airport. Everyone needs a bank account. Yeah, Who needs anyway, a bank account? Yeah. So, so some stores can actually they have almost like a beta, like a you know a multiplicative effect above the three percent uh, population growth. So that's part one. So that's an easy lift to same store sales is just from immigration. Interesting. Um, hmm. Number two is is the actual employees at most of our frontline workers. Right. So you have newcomers to Canada temporary foreign workers, students on, on student, uh, student visas. You know, just the way that, that the economy works is these workers tend to be at the entry level of the job market, and that is where it's most tight right now. If you look at where wage okay. growth is growing the fastest, and it is at the entry level, there are still some remnant issues from COVID where some retailers are still having trouble staying open, you know, the entire hours that they're supposed to, or if one person gets sick, you know, then that actually affects the amount of hours so they don't have buffer in the labor force. So removing that or slowing immigration could impact the, the lower income labor force, which in turn might mean more wage pressure, which is good for the workers, but for the stocks who pay the, the, the salaries, it could might not be great for them. And then the final point, and this is probably a more broader reaching point, is Immigration, the whole reason why this conversation is now where it is today and it's a very hot political issue is because it's, it's viewed to be, this is why housing is so expensive. This is because right. immigration is driving up housing Which costs. Which I'm gonna ask Nick about, yes, yes. yes. Now, so slowing immigration, while it might be great for millennials or Gen Zs who are trying to enter the, the, the housing market, for the two thirds of Canadians who either already own their home or have a mortgage on their home. Two thirds. Two thirds, yeah. They want the price of the house to go up. Or go up. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I have a mortgage. I want my, the you price of my to house. hold or go yeah, up. Yeah. Yes. So Preferably slowing up. that slowing immigration, you know, it, it for two thirds of the economy that what that might do to their housing price that could have ripple effects on their spending over the next few years if it is to slow or have an impact on housing in Canada. Yeah, fascinating. So so pick that up, Nick, because it, it goes <laughs> directly to to the mortgage story ultimately. Doesn't yeah, it? I, I think that's a good uh, framing of the discussion. Um, over time, over the long run, the immigration-led population growth has been a, a very good driver for the banks in over Canada. Over what time? I mean, probably like if you look over uh, over decades, right? Like yeah. compare the, the demographic trends to Japan, China, even parts of Europe, right? Like right. that has been part of the of the story, right? In financials, if you can grow and you have a good ROE, that's how you compound value for shareholders. Um, the just the nuance is, is is especially just around. Um, I think there's more thinking. Are, is the is the 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 immigration backed by the proper infrastructure? Whether it's like housing and transit, and yes, in the short term, the inflationary impact of housing can be can be a positive, maybe for a lender perspective. But if the imbalances are too great, it may serve as a drag on 
productivity and create again, again these stresses, right? And if housing's too large a share of, of, a, of a household, I think the market will really look for great policies that support not only the immigration, but really the infrastructure that's required behind it for it to be sustainable. So I expect that discussion yeah. will really come we'll back continue. a lot. Yes. Which is sort of why it goes into the political arena itself. Okay, mm -hmm. so a couple of questions. Does the government need to come to the rescue, again in brackets, to support Canadian consumer health? Like, yeah, the overall consumer. We'll put that to you, obviously, Brendan. So as of right now, it doesn't seem like it'll be required. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens. Like, the, the last real piece of, of, of government um, government stimulus that you know has had a major impact is actually at the industry level. Yeah. So, for like example, the, 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 the restaurant industry, okay. for example, they, they they are fighting to get an extension on twenty thousand dollar COVID loan forgiveness, right. um, which are they're saying that there will be a lot of actual defaults if 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 that is not granted. So for now, the consumer, it doesn't seem like the government will need to rescue the consumer right now. Um, Again, consumer confidence is strong. All of the bank CEOs who I'm sure are talking to the government and helping them figure out these things are optimistic that the rate cuts will help. So um, if we're talking about actual, you know, specific government stimulus, probably not. But that's in the context that the government stimulates in a different way by cutting rates. So right. if we're speaking a year from now, I mean the bank, sorry, it, it, the yeah. bank of Canada, yeah. bank of Canada yeah. cutting rates. Yeah. So, so it is. So yeah, because they're supposed to be separate, right? <laughs> right. Good point. Yeah. Not everyone believes yeah. that they're supposed to be separate. That's so right. if we're speaking a year from now and there's only been two cuts or, you know, two or three cuts, then we might be in a situation where they didn't move fast enough and they actually need to step in with some kind of direct interesting. Very interesting. So why would the feds cut if unemployment and sentiment are so strong? I mean, why don't we put that right. to you? It's, it is it is the question. It's a good question. Yeah. Um, but there's, I, you know, the way they framed it is that there's been substantial progress on inflation, right? right. Look at where the CPI is. And that's re really been led by, by goods uh, slowing inflation or deflation in certain buckets. So the way they framed it is that if we don't want to be tightening further, just to make sure the real rate doesn't go up, we have to cut a little bit to make sure you know, Dodgers just maintain the real rate where it is, right? So again, I think the listener brings up a good point that this is not a like uh, COVID type or GFC type stimulus of like, we go all out. It's more of a, look, we've made, we, we went through this high tightening uh, campaign to tackle inflation and progress has been made. And so we're adjusting policy in response to that. So it doesn't need to be so tight, essentially, yeah. Question, what is the most common narrative or theme that you're hearing from Canadian business leaders? I might ask you both this, but we spoke about the quintiles and different, is, is it looking at the consumer at different levels? What, yeah. what is sort of the theme? Yeah, so to, to be honest, I think the biggest concern for these, for the businesses that I speak to is, you know, we as, as you know, market participants or, you know, we, we read the headlines, no one's talking about inflation anymore. Like the inflation yeah. dragon has been slain. The, the consumer companies that I speak to, they are they are the ones bringing up inflation to me. That's saying like, just by the way, because yeah, yeah, just by the way, our suppliers are still asking for three to four percent next year. Like everyone kind of thinks we're going back to two percent, no problem. And our, our suppliers certainly don't think we're going back to two percent. Huh. Um, so and, and when when I speak before about um, the lowest income brackets still seeing the highest wage growth in the economy because of the, the you know, labor tightness. Um, that, again, is a major input cost on consumer companies that I cover. And they are trying to think, okay, well, we have to pass that through to customers next year. So that would just be the one nuance that, 
that the companies I speak to, yes, inflation, we're not at 6% anymore. You know, that, that has been defeated. But whether we're at 3 to 4 versus 2%, that could have an impact on the, the pace of potential rate cuts. Do you think prices have been lifted for good? So I personally, I think that the vast majority has been done. And the reason being that I don't think consumers can take much more. Okay. So, for example, but I they're going to stay. Yeah, they'll up. stay. They'll stay up. So, for example, in the okay. restaurant space, yeah. I, I speak to many franchisees of fast food restaurants, okay. and they've all told me that whatever they took as of fall of last year, that's it. That's it. They do. They they've tried to do little bits here and there, and the consumer just leaves and goes across the street to the to the uh, to the fast food place that didn't raise prices. So, and that's probably a good indicator of the overall economy. You know, how much, you know, a, a quick serve restaurants touches the entire economy and all, all different walks of life. And they are the ones saying, yeah, we can't take more prices. This is the line. Yeah. Okay. Really interesting. Anything to add there, Nick? There's, uh, it's, uh, that's pretty interesting. Is that No, that's, that's great. I think it depends where the economy goes. I think if that soft landing is the scenario going forward, we're going to hear a lot more strategic discussion and especially around M&A, right? Because right. we've had a kind of a, a pause on that almost for two years, but okay. the ideas continue. No, the CEOs keep thinking where they want to go. They just need some confidence in the direction of the economy and on can they fund a deal. And so I think soft landing, you see a lot more strategic M&A. You see a catch up there. Mm. Obviously, if we go back into the extremes, you know, dealing with inflation or dealing with a, more of a slowdown in the economy, then the the discussion will revert back to a more tactical you know, discussion. How do we deal with this crisis here and now? So within the banks, investment banking has dropped. It's quite depressed, especially when yeah. you're looking at like equity and debt issuances. Even mm -hmm. M&A has been quite slow. Um, they kind of like were cautious that, again, this is maybe not next quarter, the next two quarters, but sometime through the year. You should start to see. It's hard to just get a lot worse than what it's been, right? Is the idea. How are Canadian bank stocks going to be impacted by the Bank of Canada rate cuts this year? It's there is a double-edged sword to, mm -hmm. to the rate story for banks. Right. I think the initial reaction was positive because right. it was they got quite cheap on credit worries, and at the margin, you're reducing that tail, the negative tail risk for credit, right? As, as the rates being unhinged. Now is a little bit of a tougher part, right? They rallied. And these rate cuts are a revenue headwind initially, right? In the form of, of NIM compression. So I think you just got to be cautious. I think more so than the rate cuts will be the direction of credit being the big driver of what the, the, what the stocks ultimately do this year. I think that's the call that investors kind of have to make to, to tell where the bank stocks will go. Okay. Watching credit. That's from Nick. Brendan, final thought on the consumer you'd like just investors to make sure they keep top of mind. Yeah. So again, so the market's excited. From the fundamental basis, you know, the market tends to move before earnings. You know, right. it, it, it's, it, it's a predictive machine, right? As of right now, the fundamentals of the consumer, while they're still fine, if I had to give you a trajectory, it seems like things are going to get tougher before they get better. Okay. So that would just be my message to advisors out there. You know, it might be a, a great time, you know, get on the phone, you know, speak, speak to some of our sales reps and just understand how all of the portfolio is, is positioned. Is it for offense or defense? And is it for U.S. or Canada? Um, because we've been talking a lot through here about the, the potential for a U.S. soft landing mm -hmm. does seem to still be there. The potential for a Canada soft landing with the exposure to housing, with cutting slower than the U.S., it seems a little bit more tricky. 
So I would just I would just leave that leave that message there is just have the conversation, understand where your clients' portfolios are positioned in terms of geographies, and uh, we're here to help. Right. So great to have you both share your deep analysis of what you do every day, uh, sharing here today, Nick. And Brennan, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you soon on Pamela Ritchie. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.